As we open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, your word is perfect, reviving the soul. Your testimony is sure, making the simple wise. Your precepts are right, rejoicing our hearts. Your commandments are pure, enlightening our eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Your rules are true and righteous altogether. They are more to be desired than fine gold and sweeter than honey. By them your servants are warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So teach that word to us now by your Spirit, and show us Christ, we pray. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter 61. Isaiah 61. And we're going to read together the first nine verses of Isaiah 61, and that'll be our text for this morning. Isaiah chapter 61, beginning our reading at verse 1, and let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called priests of the Lord, They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, Well, as I've mentioned a couple of times already, this is the last Lord's Day of 2019. Uh, We won't be meeting again till next year. Um, And so it's often a good time, I find, at the end of the year to think about uh, the year that's come and to think about the year that's coming. Uh, Whether we want to or not, I think our minds naturally turn uh, to the times of the year, to the times that have been and the times that are coming. Um, and this, this passage is an interesting one in that it, uh, the heading in your Bible probably is the same as mine. It says, the year of the Lord's favor. Um, and that's also the title of our sermon. 
Um, and at the turning of the year, I, I think it's, always, it's only natural for us to think back on the year that's been um, and to sort of think of in two ways about the new year that's coming. I think all of us greet the new year in one of two ways. Either we hope it's just like the year we've just had, uh, we've had a really good year, and we hope that that continues in the new year, or we hope that the new year is nothing like the year that we've had, um, that it's been a difficult and, and troubling year, and we hope that better things await us in the year to come. Um, but I think this is a natural time of the year to look back and to look forward, to think about the year and what kind of year it's been and what kind of year we might expect to have. Um, and I think it's, this passage is really helpful to us as we think about the times, because it reminds us to think about the times not just as we think about time, but also to think about our times as the Lord teaches us to think about our times. Because if we turn our hearts and minds to think about the year to come and the year that's been in the terms of how the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to think about the year, he teaches us to say, this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Um, And that's the encouragement that comes to the people of God who are brought good news in this passage. Uh, There were people who needed to hear good news, and we're a people who need to hear good news. And the good news that Jesus brings is this is the year of the Lord's favor. Um, And God brings his blessings to his people himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to think about the blessings that God brings to his people in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to think about that in three particular ways as we look at this passage. We see blessings proclaimed. There's a proclamation made in this passage. So we see blessings proclaimed. We see blessings provided as the Lord gives blessings to his people. And finally, we see blessings perfected, a picture of the blessed state that awaits the people of God. And so that's how we want to think about this passage together. What are the blessings that the Lord Jesus Christ brings to his people? Well, they're blessings proclaimed, blessings provided, and blessings perfected. Uh, There is a proclamation of blessing to be made in this passage. We see that in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. There's a proclamation to be made. Um, And and whenever we hear something like that, one of the first questions we want to ask is, well, who is the audience for this proclamation? Who is receiving this good news? Who is this message entitled to? to to be heard by. Um, And it's a good news message for the poor, we read in verse 1. It's good news to the poor. Um, We see a little note in our Bibles, if if your note is the same as mine, that says it might mean afflicted. I think that's a better way to take this. The audience for this proclamation are the afflicted ones. People who are not just poor, lacking money, but who are afflicted in a variety of ways. And that becomes clear as the verse goes on and points out the ways in which this audience is afflicted. This audience is downtrodden, it's forsaken, it's wretched. Um, And and it's wretched both in its inward being and in its outward circumstances. Um, What do we hear about the inward being of these people who are afflicted? Well, they are brokenhearted. Um, they are brokenhearted. Uh, whenever we hear of someone who is brokenhearted, that always is, is a very vivid picture for us. But the, the picture that Isaiah gives is even more vivid in the sense of this word sort of means broken beyond repair. 
Maybe you've had something in, in life that has made you feel that way, that your heart has been broken, and it's so broken that it feels beyond repair. Uh, that, that's what these people are being afflicted with in their inner being. It's that, it's that sense of broken beyond, beyond repair that captures every form of disappointment or struggle that people experience in their inward being. Uh, these afflicted people are people who are in mourning, we're told uh, by Isaiah. They are mourning over their sins. They are mourning over the misery that those sins have brought upon them. Um, that is brought into their lives. They are afflicted in their inward being and they're afflicted in their outward circumstances. They are a people who are captives. They are in bondage. They are prisoners of war. Uh, That's expressing captivity in sort of every way you can. Um, These are a people who are afflicted inwardly and outwardly. And the affliction being described here is the affliction of exile. A people that have been taken from their home um, by oppressors and are experiencing the, the full measure of that oppression. And that's who these, these afflicted ones are that have this message. There are people that need to hear good news. Right, this is the bad news portion of the sermon. Uh, we're getting to the good news portion. These are the people that need to hear a good word. They need to hear a word of blessedness. Uh, And this picture of their exile, we can't just look and say, well, I'll keep this in mind if I'm ever taken captive to Babylon. I'll file this in my Babylonian drawer, and if I need to pull it out, then I'll pull it out then. Uh, But that's not why we're given this, right? Because the exile in the Bible is a picture of the exile, the captivity that all people experience under sin. There's a sense in which every sinner who's been brought from death to life knows what it is to be in captivity. To be stuck where you are because of your own sin. Because of where sin has brought us in our lives. And to need to hear a good word. To be afflicted and seeking relief. And the relief for the afflicted ones comes from an anointed one. Right, to these afflicted ones comes one who is not afflicted, but anointed. Who's been anointed to preach good news to the afflicted. Uh, we, we see that in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. There, there's a mention of this anointing. Here comes one who has been anointed by the Spirit of the Lord to do something for the afflicted people. This is the great news that comes. The Spirit of the Lord God Almighty. Right To these people who are afflicted, they're being reminded of the great name of the Lord. The covenant name. That in their affliction, they've not been forgotten by their God. And the Spirit of their God has anointed a messenger to bring them good news. Has anointed that messenger to bring the news. Right? Anointing has a very important you know, function in the life of God's people in the Old Testament. Anointing was a mark of authority. Right? Kings were anointed to show that they were given authority to rule. Priests were anointed to show that they were given authority 
to minister on behalf of God's people. And so for this one to come as an anointed one, it shows that he's been given authority to do something by God. To do, to do his task for his people. Anointing speaks of that authority. It also speaks of ability. That the Spirit of God has been poured out on this messenger so that he's able to do for the people what he's been called to do for them. So this anointing by the Spirit of God, the mighty Spirit of God, the covenant Lord come to his people through this messenger shows that this one has been enabled and given the authority to do what God has called him to do, which is first to proclaim the blessing of God. That's one of the privileges that every prophet, apostle, minister in that line has had the privilege of doing. Been anointed by God to come and to bring his good news to his people. In that, in that sense, it's a, wonderful, it's a wonderful job to have. Because you get to come to people and say, I have a good word for you from the Lord. That, that as our Lord Jesus Christ could come and say, there's a father in heaven who loves you. And who loved you enough to send me to you so that you would not die but live. That you would have life and have it abundantly. That you would have abundant life forever. That's the good news that, that we all get to proclaim. This is, we're all ministers in this line in terms of bringing good news for God's people. To proclaim God's blessing to the afflicted. That's a privilege that, that many ministers of the word have shared with this minister of the word. But what makes this servant different in his anointing is he comes not just to proclaim blessing, but to provide the blessing he proclaims. That makes him unique as a messenger of God. Because of the rest of the messengers of God can only bring the message of blessing. They can't actually provide the blessing. Right? They can proclaim it, but they can't provide it. Right? Other, other messengers can come and they can say, you're a sinner in need of salvation. And we can preach the law to try to drive souls to Christ, to see their need of a Savior. And we can preach the good news that God has provided a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came to meet our sinful need. That he came to be sin for us, to be condemned for our sin, that we might have his life. He came to be like us, so to make us like him. That's good news, but I can't make you believe it. Right? We can proclaim it, we can't give you the faith. And we can go back to the law and proclaim that as the, as the rule of a righteous life, the, the life that flows in thanksgiving to God. And we can exhort God's people and encourage them to pursue holiness, to put off the old self, to put on the new, to be like Jesus, to do the things that are pleasing and glorifying to God. But we can't make people live. Um, that's what makes this messenger so different. Is This anointed one comes, and he comes not only to proclaim the good news, but to provide it. Not just to proclaim blessedness to God's people, but to provide it to them. And that's why we wouldn't have to go outside of Isaiah 61 to say that this anointed one is unique in his task. 
This anointed one is an anointed one like no other that's ever come under the Spirit of the Lord. Now, this is anointed one that can be no other person than our Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, we could get that just from Isaiah 61, but we don't need to get that just from Isaiah 61 because Jesus preached Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4. At the beginning of his earthly ministry in Luke's gospel, Jesus comes back to Nazareth, to the, to the synagogue that he's always attended. And as is customary when Jesus is in the synagogue, they ask him to teach. Right? Who better to open the word of God to you than Jesus? And they give him the scroll of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4. And he goes to Isaiah 61 Verses 1 and the first part of verse 2. And so Jesus reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus reads that in the synagogue, and then he rolls up the scroll. And he sits down to teach. And we're told that all, all the heads are turned towards him to see what he's going to say. Everybody's on the edge of their seat to say, what is Jesus going to say about Isaiah 61? And he says something remarkable. In Luke 4.21 he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is fulfilled. This is done now. The year of the Lord's favor has come. And so they all rejoice to hear it and they pick him up to carry him out on their show. No, I mean, they want to go throw him off a cliff by the end of the sermon. Um, so if that's how you feel at the end of one of my sermons. You're in good company. I'm in good company. Um, they, they, they want to throw him off a cliff by the end of, of what he has to say. But it's an important moment in redemptive history for the Lord Jesus Christ to come into the world to read this proclamation about the year of the Lord's favor and to say to God's people, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Here is the one who has the power to make the good news a reality, who has come to fulfill the blessings of God's people and to provide those blessings to them. And so what are the blessings that Jesus provides? Uh, what are the blessings that he comes to provide to his people? Um, well, it, the, the passage defines for us, what is the blessing that Jesus has come to give to his people? Well, the first blessing he's come is to, is to fix what's broken. Very simply, what, what is the blessing that's promised in Isaiah 61? That this anointed one will come and he'll fix what's broken. Um, it's a rather simple way of, of looking at things, but, but what's broken? Well, the inward being is broken, right? There are people that are brokenhearted. There are people that are in mourning. And so what does Jesus come to do? He comes to repair the inward being. He comes to, to fix what no one else can fix, Right, that, that heart that's broken beyond repair that causes us to cry out, who will ever be able to comfort me? 
Lord Jesus Christ comes and says, I can, I can repair that heart. I can comfort that mourner and bring real comfort uh, that, that meets that real mourning in a way no other comforter can comfort. He can repair the inward being. And he can restore the outward circumstances. He can take the captive and set them free. He can take the prisoner and loose their bonds. He can take the prisoner of war and bring them home. That's what Jesus promises to do. That's what this passage promises. God will come and he'll fix what's broken. That's the first part of the blessing that he provides. The second part is he'll take what he's fixed and fill it with joy. Right? Jesus doesn't just set things back to what they were before. Um, he doesn't just fix what's broken. He takes what's broken, he fixes it, and then he fills it with joy. It, there's not just repair, there's exaltation. There's a lifting up out of the former condition to a far better condition. Um, and and that's, what's, that's what's pointed out as verse 3 goes on in Isaiah 61. What, what does God do for his people? Well, he offers this great exchange that's 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 related to us through various images by the prophet Isaiah, right? A crown instead of ashes. He's going to take those who are in mourning, who are in Zion, who've sprinkled ashes on their head, and instead of ashes of mourning, they will have a crown on their heads, a crown of glory. Um, Isaiah is masterful in his use of Hebrew. Ashes become a crown in Hebrew just by switching two consonants around. It's a wonderful play on words that he uses to teach this truth, but it almost teaches us that that, that's that's how easy it is for God to reverse circumstances. To take circumstances and turn them from ashes to a crown of glory. It's that easy for him to change everything about our circumstances. A crown instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning. Or just as ashes are sprinkled on the head when they would mourn in that culture, so oil is replaced. Not not the ashes of mourning, but the oil of gladness. The oil of gladness and celebration running down their heads. Uh, they'll, They'll receive a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That faint spirit is the same word that Isaiah uses elsewhere for a faintly burning wick. That that faintly burning wick that's about to go out will instead be clothed with a garment of praise. Um, One commentator said the praise of God is the best way to overcome a faint spirit. And that's what God will do. The, The smoldering wick will be turned into one who is clothed with the garment of praise. It's going to fill with joy these things. And those who are pining away over their sin and misery will be planted as mighty oaks of righteousness. This wonderful picture of the morning and ashes, faint-hearted, broken in spirit, are now crowned, anointed with the oil of gladness, planted by the Lord as trees of righteousness. It's not just to fix what's broken. It's to take what was broken and fix it and then fill it with joy to build it up into something greater 
even than it was before. And who else can do this but the Lord? Right? This, is, this is not action items for the people of God. These are not your marching orders for the new year. Go and figure out a way to turn your ashes into a crown of joy. No, that's not what God says here. God says, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to crown you. I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to plant you. That's the good news that our God brings to us. He is going to repair what's broken and he is going to fill it with joy. He is going to change the circumstances. Um, And why is he going to do that? He's going to do that for his own glory. To show that he is a covenant God who does not forget his promises. Who does not forget what he's promised to do for his people. They are sent to exile for a time. They are afflicted for a time for his purposes, for their sin, to discipline them. But he has not forgotten them. And this great restoration of his people will glorify his name and testify in the world that God is a God who does not forget his promises to his people. That no one has ever trusted God in vain. That God has always been a God who delivers his people, who restores them, and in doing so glorifies his name. One of the wonderful things about the gospel good news is that it unites God's glory and our good. It testifies to us that God will always glorify his name and his good has been by the gospel united. His glory has been united by the gospel to our good. What glorifies him is good for us. That's wonderful news. Um, Those two things can't run apart from one another. The things that glorify his name are good for his people. And they testify in the world that our God is a gracious and redeeming God who does not forget the promises he's made to his people, does not leave his people or forsake them. So we know what God has promised to provide to his people. We know why he's providing it to his people. Uh, The question we really want answered is, when will he provide these things to his people? And that's why what Jesus says in Luke 4.21 is so important. When will we receive these things? When will... When will it be fixed what's broken? When will what's broken and repaired be filled with joy? When will that happen? We're waiting for that day. And Jesus comes and what does he say? Today. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus has come to do all these things for his people now. The good news is that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, all these things are ours now. Jesus has done the repairing of what was broken. Right? We were broken on account of our sin and our misery, and Jesus has repaired that. He died to pay the debt for our sin. He's provided us the righteousness we need to stand before a holy God. He's fixed that. And he's filled us with joy. He's continuing to work in us by his spirit to conform us after the image of his son. If we believe in him, all these things are ours today. That that inward repair is already done. That spiritual work is already finished. And it promises the outward restoration that's coming. 
We've traded the ashes for the crown. We've traded the faintly burning wick for the garment of praise. We've traded the weakness for the might of being planted by God. Christ has accomplished this by his life and his death and his resurrection. These things are ours now. And we will dwell in his courts forever. He says today. We might say, well then pastor, why doesn't it feel like today? That sounds great, right? Um, You can be honest with me, we're friends, right? Um, That sounds great. But I don't feel like that. I still feel brokenhearted. I still feel like I'm in mourning. I still feel the misery of sin. I still feel captive to it. I don't feel like one who has been crowned with joy. I still feel like I'm sitting in the ashes. Um, I still feel faint-spirited and broken. I feel more like the faintly burning wick than I feel like the mighty oak. Um, Does that mean somehow I've missed the promise? Um, Well, we have to remember that this passage not only speaks of the blessings provided by our God, but speaks of the blessings that will one day be perfected in his people. Today is the beginning, not the end. Today these things are true in a spiritual sense, but they've not yet been perfected in the people of God. Christ has fixed what was broken. He has filled his people with joy. But there's an order to things. Right? The inward being is fixed, and then the outward circumstances will be fixed. We've been redeemed, we're being renewed. But we're being renewed after the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the same way it worked in the fall. God said, the day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. But Adam and Eve didn't drop dead the day they ate of the fruit. They were dead spiritually the minute they did it. It took the outward reality a while to catch up. And that's true in redemption. God works in the same order. I've been inwardly renewed by the Spirit of God. Outwardly, I'm still wasting away. But inwardly, I'm renewed. And what God promises is a day of perfection coming when it won't just be the inward being that's been renewed. It'll be the outward circumstances that are restored as well. The day when those blessings that have been provided to us spiritually in Christ will be perfected in the world until they're unmistakable as blessings that have come and have been realized by the people of God. And we get a glimpse of what those perfected blessings look like in verses 4 through 9. Now it's told with an Old Testament context. It's told in ways that captives in a foreign land would understand, but it's filled with rich spiritual significance of what it will mean when Christ comes again in glory to perfect the blessings that he's given to his people. What do we see as the blessings that come to God's people as they're perfected in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Well, repossession and restoration of what's been broken in the world. We read in verse 4, They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Right? These are ancient ruins being talked about here. Um, in Isaiah's day, they had not yet been brought to ruin. He was prophesying about a time that was to come. But even for the exiles, they, the, the ruins weren't ancient in that sense. They were 70 years old. Right? We, we, we don't call the events of World War II ancient. Um, and especially since the word in Hebrew really means the everlasting ruins. Uh, what, what's being spoken of here is a ruin beyond just the ruin of Jerusalem. It's the ruin of this world. And Isaiah sees a time when the ruin of this world is repaired. When the former devastations are all gone. And there's a new city. A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's the blessedness that Isaiah sees. That's the repair and the restoration that awaits the people of God. That place where perfect fellowship exists. Here it's expressed in terms of Jews and Gentiles, foreigners and those who belong, strangers and citizens, but all working together. Something that was not the experience of the Old Testament people of God in relation to their neighbors, with whom they were always and constantly at war. But look at that picture of blessedness that's given to us, that perfect fellowship that exists in verses 5 and 6. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. And you shall eat the wealth of nations, and in their glory you shall boast. You see the cooperation, the perfect fellowship that exists in the perfected blessings? That, that's why it's a place of endless celebration the endless celebration that we see in verse 7. Instead of shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Right? You, you can't have everybody in the land receiving a double portion of land. That's not meant to be a literal promise. It's an expression of blessedness. Everyone has a double inheritance. Everyone has a double portion. And what does that result in? Everlasting joy. That's what's promised when the blessings are perfected. Perfect righteousness will exist in that world. Because God hates robbery and wrong, but he loves justice. And he promises a day when the, when the wicked will be gone and the everlasting covenant will be upon all that are left. A picture of complete righteousness and unmistakable blessedness. When the outward circumstances match the inward renewal. And the blessing of God's people is so obvious that it can't be missed. That's the beauty of verse 9. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. That will be apparent when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory.
that all those who put their trust in him are his offspring and the offspring of the Lord and those who are the recipients of his blessing. And so when we look at the promises of blessing that Jesus says are ours today and they don't look like they're here in the fullness that he expresses it, we have to remember those blessings are real and they're provided now, but there's a day coming when they will be perfected. When the outward reality will match the inward reality. When that which is fading away is replaced by that which is incorruptible and lasts forever. But Jesus wants his people to understand that is just going to be the aftershock of what's already happened. The blessings have already been provided. That's just the aftershock of this reality come to fruition. So don't say next year will be the year of the Lord's favor. Or that day when it comes will be the year of the Lord's favor. But what, just, what does Jesus say to his people? Today is the year of the Lord's favor. Today these promises have been fulfilled in your hearing. And how do we know that's true? Because Jesus has come into the world. Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. Come for us while we were still enemies, while we were willing to throw them off a cliff for proclaiming good news to the afflicted. These blessings are ours. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Um, remember that whatever this year holds for you. If it holds good, it'll be easy to remember that it's the year of the Lord's favor. If it's filled with difficulty, it might be difficult at times to remember that this is the year of the Lord's favor. But remember our words, the words of our Lord in Luke 4.21. Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He has provided the blessings that he's proclaimed and he will perfect them when, he's come, when he comes again in glory. And he's coming soon. He's coming soon. And so we say this year as we say every year until he comes, even so, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that this year has been the year of your favor, that Jesus has proclaimed and provided great spiritual blessings to us as his people. And we thank you that we can then greet the new year with that same confidence, that you've shown your favor to us in the sending of your Son, that he proclaimed all those years ago that today these prophecies were fulfilled in the hearing of your people and that these are still true today for he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we pray that we would cling in hope to these promises, that we would not lose heart whatever afflictions we face, but be reminded that everything Jesus has provided for us, he will perfect when he comes again and he's coming soon. So we pray that he would come quickly and that you would keep us patiently waiting, leaning on his promises in our affliction and knowing that one day we will enjoy perfect blessedness and everlasting joy with him. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.